0: Last week we started a, uh, a new series as a run-up uh, to Easter. We're calling it Redemption, and the subtitle is "The Worst Stories Can Have the Best Endings." Somebody say Amen. Yeah. Aren't you glad that the worst stories can have best endings? What we're going to do is we're, we're, we're looking at how God can take the lowest of lows in our lives and redeem them for our good. Now, when I say our good, I mean mine and God's good. I don't mean our good. I mean our good. You got it? can redeem them for our good. Because let us never forget that while we are many times fixated upon what's transpiring in our lives, God has got a much bigger picture He's working with. And I am just one part in that much bigger picture. So God, God, God is ultimately working things together for His purposes and His plans to prevail. And what I want to make sure is that I'm not in the way of that. You know, God is really big and He runs over stuff. He runs over stuff. So last week, we peered into the story of Jacob. And particularly as it related to what, how God used... His life and the situations around him to fulfill a promise that God had made to his grandfather Abraham. Remember the promise? He came to Abraham. God came to Abraham and said, "I am going to, I am going to uh, bless you, and through you, I am going to build a great nation. I'm going to bring you into this promised land, and I'm going to, through your lineage, build." a great nation. Now, the part of the story we looked at last week was the fact that God was true to his word and brought he and his fledgling family, his tribe of 70, into the promised land. But then he had to build them into a great nation. And to do that, he caused them to have to go to Egypt under the protection of the greatest army on earth at the time, And they went in as 70 and came out as hundreds of thousands of people. Right? I wouldn't have done it that way. I don't know about you. That's not the way I would have put the whole thing together. But God has his ways. And we need to to see that. We need to understand that. So last week, we were looking at Jacob's story. And I said to you while we were looking at it, That there is, it's a story of redemption, his story, but within that story of redemption is another story of redemption. And then I started looking at it this weekend, I said, there's just not one story inside that redemption story, inside that redemption story, there's another story inside that redemption story, so it's a story of redemption inside a story of redemption inside a story of redemption, it's like it, it's like God just keeps redeeming the situation, and I want to talk to you about those two other redemption stories today. In my mind, it's one of the it's one of the greatest redemption stories of the whole Bible. A lot of times, when we think of redemption story, we immediately go to Job's story, right? How Job had everything, lost everything, the ark, the redemption ark that I spoke of last week, Job hit the utter bottom, and then God God redeemed him and redeemed the situation and brought it back up. But I would say that the story we're going to talk about today is probably another one of the top uh, two or three in the Bible. It's the story of Joseph, Jacob's son. Jacob ended up having 12 sons of which became the tribes of Judah or the tribes of Israel. Now Joseph happened to be born 11th in the birth order. So he's next to the last one. Benjamin was the very last, the 12th son to be born to him. And as we see those, the early description of who Joseph was, we come up against this information. In Genesis 37, 3 it says, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was born to him in his old age. Joseph loved more than any of the other sons. Joseph enjoyed favor status in Jacob's heart. This mark of favor was not just something private between Joseph and Jacob, his dad. It became very public when his father made him a robe of royalty. A garment that looked much different than what the other brothers had to wear. Joseph enjoyed this code of privilege. He enjoyed this mark of favoritism for 17 years. Is there any 17 year old people here? How old are you? You're 18, you're close enough. Stand if you will. Who's 17? Uh, Sean, I thought you were raising your hand, you were 17. What? Who's 17? Back here? Somebody? Where? Who? Dylan. Dylan's in the back. He's in the dark back back there. Anyways, we have some 17 or 18-year-olds here in our midst. For 17 years, he got to enjoy privilege. Unquestionable privilege among all the other brothers and family members. His dad was the guy in charge and he got to get whatever he wanted. I know my dad's listening this morning. You can be seated. I got, I got nine years of that. Nine solid years of being an only child. And then my sister came along. I remember, I literally, I don't remember a lot of my childhood, but one of the things I do remember is pouting behind a recliner when my sister came home from the hospital. I remember that. I remember that, like it was yesterday. It was all over, Rover. Nine years shot. Now I'm second fiddle, right? (laughs) Can you tell I was spoiled? I was spoiled. 17 years. But in that 17 years, something was brewing. His favored favored status did not go unnoticed. By his brothers. They, he had 17 years of favor. They had 17 years of building envy, resentment, and full-blown hatred towards him. Some of you come from families like that. Now, if that were not enough... Jacob has a dream. Not just any old dream, not some kind of pizza dream, right? He has a dream that we will later come to discover is from God. I don't think he knew it at the time. I don't don't know. And certainly the rest of the family didn't know it. But Joseph has a dream. And in that dream, he sees himself as ruling over his brothers. Now, how many of you know it's one thing to have the dream? It's another thing to tell it to the people you know despise you. Couldn't keep his mouth shut he tells his brothers. Their, their envy, their hatred, their bitterness grows. Jacob has a second dream. This time, it's it's the dream is, not only is he going to be ruling over his brothers, but he will be ruling over his mom and dad. And again, True to form, he has to tell them. This time, now remember, did I mention that he is incredibly favored by his father? Even his father in the second dream has to tell him, who do you think you are? Right? The story at that point kind of fast forwards a little bit. And the next scene, we see the 11 brothers out in the field tending to Jacob's flock. Where is Joseph? Home with his dad. When you're wearing the kind of robe that he was wearing, you are not you're not out in the fields doing labor. That robe doesn't equate to that. He was home with his father, enjoying favored status. At one point, his dad says, listen, I need you to do something for me. I want you to go and check on your brothers. And if you read the all entire account, Joseph leaves, does what his dad asked him to do. He goes down to where, they, where he thought they were, and they're not there. They had moved on. He, finally, He finally figures out where they're at. And as he's coming, it tells us, the brothers, while they see him coming towards them, off in the distance, they're already plotting ways to kill him. They're already in their minds trying to think about how can we take this brother of ours out? So the one brother says, let's kill him, and we'll throw him into a cistern. A hand dug well here, and, and, and there, you know, he didn't say this, but I'm thinking that's where his grave, right? That will be his grave, this, this cistern. But, you know, there was some, still some flickers of mercy in the one brother's heart. And the other brother steps forward and says, no, I don't think we should kill him. Why don't we just just throw him into the cistern? And and in his mind, he's thinking, at some point, I will get him out of the cistern and take him back home to our father. So the other brothers relented. They said, okay, we won't kill him. But they said, we're going to strip him of this robe. This robe it wasn't the same to them as it was to Joseph, right? It spoke of something much different. They strip him of his robe, throw him into the cistern. Apparently the brother that that pleaded for mercy in this moment uh, went off to do something because the next scene says that they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming on their way to sell goods in Egypt. And the one brother says, listen, uh, let's get something for him. We'll get him back out of the well and we'll sell him to these merchants. And uh, that's what happened. They they got him out. They sold him. And uh, they take him, the caravan of Ishmaelites, take him uh, down to Egypt. And... Uh, and I'll get to the next. one. Now, as we, remember last week I told you that in a redemption story, there is a, a an arc to it, a curve to it, right? So things start out fine, then they then they hit the bottom, and then they they come back, they re- resurrect, if you will, right? Now you would think in this story uh, that if you are hated to the point of wanting to be killed by your brothers, and, and they take you and they throw you down into a, a, a well there in the earth, no way for you to get out, you would think that that's the bottom of the redemption arc, right? That they, that's the pit right there. We, we hit the ark, But as we will discover, the bottom has not yet come. In Genesis 39.1, it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and there Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So this guy named Potiphar buys Joseph and brings him into his home uh, to to work as like a servant or a slave. In this same chapter, chapter 39, we read about how the Lord was with Joseph. That's what it literally says. And the Lord was with Joseph. So much so that Potiphar noticed that there was something special about this Hebrew boy. And what what, what it says he noticed was that everything that Joseph put his hand to do was blessed. It prospered. This led Potiphar to put Joseph in charge of everything concerning his household. So so let's get the picture in our mind a little bit. Just not long before this, Joseph is in the pit of a water well. By an act of mercy, he has brought out of that pit of water well, sold to some strangers, finds himself in a foreign place, in a pagan land, not the promised land, a land much different than that, is purchased as a slave by a, uh, a high official in Egypt, and now finds himself ruling over uh, Potiphar's affairs. That's quite a transformation in my mind. But as we will see, not only Pharaoh, or, I'm sorry, not only Potiphar noticed something special about Joseph, so did Potiphar's wife. The Bible says that Joseph was handsome, and this is my version, Jack. Jacked. When I read it afresh over the last few weeks. He was the Fabio of his day. (laughs) Joseph was the Fabio of his day. He had it all going. And the story tells us that day after day, she tried to get Joseph to abandon his integrity and sleep with her. Day after day. That's how it's worded. Day after day. Now my guess is, this is my guess, we don't know this for sure, we're not told this exactly, but if Potiphar is a a key leader in Egypt, my guess is he probably married a pretty fine lady. Right? So this isn't just a woman, this is, like a queen in Egypt asking Joseph day after day to come and be with her you may have heard this phrase before hell hath no fury like a scorn woman a woman of scorn i looked it up that means that no one is, no one is as angry as a woman who has been romantically rejected or betrayed. Because Joseph would not lie with her, she ended up lying about him. And told those around that Joseph tried to rape her And as you can imagine, when word gets to Potiphar, Potiphar isn't good with that. So he has Joseph arrested and put in prison. And as you kind of read the story, you you kind of get the idea that there there was no American justice system at work here, right? There was no like, okay, you get two years for that, right? You, you get the impression that the key was thrown away. You know, you uh, so we've got Joseph in the bottom of a well, uh, having gone from favored status in the bottom of a well, out of the well, sold to some foreigners ends up in a faraway country, ascends back to a place of significance and and prominence, gets lied about, and ends up in prison. That's how the story goes. We don't know exactly how long Joseph was in prison. We know that after the situation with the cupbearer, the chief cupbearer, and the chief baker that there was a two-year window between interpreting their dreams and getting out of prison. But we don't know exactly how long Joseph was in prison uh, before that. We do know that uh, this whole process took about 13 years. So so, uh, he was in prison for years, not days. Now, as, as the story goes... During his time in prison, Joseph ended up finding favor with the guy in charge of the prison, the warden. And the warden, like Potiphar, sees something on Joseph, sees something special about him. That it says this, he says, the warden ended up putting Joseph in charge of all those held in prison as well as running the system of the prison. So just like he found himself in Potiphar's house, overseeing everything, the warden now of the prison that Joseph is residing in puts Joseph in charge of what transpires in the prison. But God, God also uses this prison moment as well he uses this time to hone Joseph's ability to not only have dreams himself but to be able to take the dreams of others and bring God understanding to them that's a gift hello And we read the account of at least two dreams that he was asked to give understanding about. The chief cupbearer, the chief baker, the guys who were in charge of that under Pharaoh, not Potiphar, but Pharaoh, the top dog of Egypt. These guys were the ones to make sure that there was nothing in the drink or the food that might kill uh, uh, Pharaoh, right? Because that's how it worked in those days. If you wanted to take a leader out, you just poisoned them, right? You guys know a little bit about history. Okay, well, that's how it worked. So these guys were in charge. They were the taste testers, making sure the food that was brought. So we're told that that Joseph, these guys came to him with a, with some. Some dreams that they had, and Joseph uh correctly uh gave understanding, interpreted those dreams in such a way that I'm not gonna go into the story, but the story ended up exactly as Joseph described it. Now that's important. You know, here he is in prison. If you if if you were if you and if I I'll say I, I don't want to say you, but and I've been there before, so I know a little bit about this. Uh When I had that occasion, I'm so busy crying for my mom. Mommy! Or my wife at the time, Jody! Come and get me out of here! Right? Joseph, on the other hand, is using this time to press into God. You don't get you don't get this kind of revelation unless you're pressing in to God. So he's not seeing this prison thing as, as like the end of the world. He's seeing it as a time to get with God. Now, why is that important? Because what happened here in this prison ended up being his pathway out of the prison. Because we are told, as the story goes forward, two years later, after interpreting accurately the dreams of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, the chief baker gets out of jail. We all know what happened to the other guy, right? Didn't end so well for him. The baker gets out, Two years later, is restored back to his role under Pharaoh. Pharaoh has a dream. And he goes to his wise guys of the day, and they don't know what it means. So the chief baker, who had been with Joseph in prison, and whose dream Joseph interpreted accurately, goes to Pharaoh and says, hey, I know this guy... That when we told him our dreams, he nailed it. It was he was accurate. He was dead on. Maybe he would know what your dream means. He's telling Pharaoh this. So Pharaoh says, Well, my guys can't do it. Bring him over. Now remember, Pharaoh doesn't know who Joseph is. Well, I don't say he doesn't know who he is, but at this point, we don't read any account where he's been in service to Pharaoh, it's just been to Potiphar. Pharaoh calls him in and says, you know, I've had this dream, I need somebody to interpret it. And Joseph, uh, the humble man that he is, said, listen, I, I, can't, I can't interpret your dream, but I know the person who can. His name's God, Yahweh. And Joseph gives... And it's the dream I referred to in, my, uh, in what I shared with you last week. Joseph gives to Pharaoh the meaning of the dream, the seven years of abundance, the seven years of famine. And because Joseph was able to hear from God, both in terms of what the dream meant, but also in terms of the wisdom to know what to do, this is what it says in chapter 41. Think about this for a minute. Just ponder this thought. In 41 41 Genesis 41 41 it says that Pharaoh put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. What? The guy who was in who is who is hated by his brothers put into the pit. Sold to some gypsies coming along down the road. Ends up in a pretty significant role. Loses that. Now, here's a guy in charge of the whole system of Egypt. That's pretty crazy. That's called redemption, in case you don't know. Now, this is interesting. It tells us that Joseph strategically placed himself in a particular, uh, at a particular station. He could have done whatever. Joseph at this point could have done whatever he wanted to do, right? right? But it tells us that he specifically placed him as the one through whom people would have to go through to get food in Egypt. Now, I think that's significant because he knew, he knew that eventually his family was going to be in that line. He knew that there was going to come a day when they had to come to Egypt to get some food. And Joseph would be there seeing his brothers, possibly his mom, his dad, come through the line. Are you still there? We're almost done. We're almost done. As the story goes, that indeed did happen. And Jacob sent 10 of his sons. Remember, there were 12. He sends 10 of his sons to go to Egypt and get some food. He kept Benjamin, the youngest, the 12th of the 12, at home. And it tells us he did that because he could not stand the thought of losing, it's almost like Benjamin uh, kind of took on that favored status that Jacob had. Remember, B- Jacob thinks uh, Jacob thinks that Joseph's dead, gone. They had taken the bloody his bloody cloak and taken it back to the, his dad, and his dad, you know, is filled with grief to the point that he's, you know, not even able to be consoled about it. So, anyways, the ten brothers they head to Egypt. When the brothers arrive in Egypt, we read this in chapter 42, verse 6. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down with their faces to the ground. Remember the dream? Remember, at this moment, they have no idea who Joseph is. Verse 42, chapter 42, verse 8 says, Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. When the last time they saw this guy, they had sold him to a bunch of Ishmaelites. He was 17 years old. Sold him to, now he's a grown man, uh, likely somewhere around 30 years old. And the thought of him being in charge of anything in Egypt. Let alone all of Egypt, that, that, that's, that, that's just not even in their realm of thinking. They don't know what happened to him, but they would have never have conceived of the idea of him being in charge. Then chapter 42, verse nine says, "Then Joseph remembered his dreams about them. Thirteen years earlier, Joseph told them a dream. And in that dream, he saw them bowing down to him. No one, one, not Joseph, not the brothers, no one could have ever imagined that the dream would unfold in this way. There's only one person who knew how the dream was going to unfold, and that was the one who gave him the dream. God. God. If you're familiar with the story, Joseph did not initially reveal himself to his brothers on this trip. Remember, his dream spoke of all the brothers bowing down before him. So a ruse was created in order to get Benjamin there, to which Jacob uh, held out, held out, held out, held out. And then finally, in desperation, said, "Okay, if he has to go too, send him as well. And eventually all 11 brothers made the trip and Joseph unveils himself. And like I pointed to this last week, the rest of the family would end up settling in Egypt. Jacob dying there. Joseph and all his brothers dying there. So I I want to just end by asking this question this morning. What can you and I draw out from this incredible redemption story. I got three things, and then I got four things. But we'll move through them quickly. Number one, this is what I noticed. The thing that got Joseph in trouble, walking with God, is the very thing that got him out of trouble. The thing that got him in trouble is the very thing that got him out of trouble. The fact that God spoke to Joseph in dreams, and he told those dreams, got him in trouble. But because he was able to discern the voice of God concerning dreams, that got him out of trouble. The fact that he was a man of integrity when he was dealing with Potiphar's wife got him into trouble... But that very integrity is the thing that got him out of trouble. Joseph kept finding himself at the top of wherever he landed, whether it was in the prison or in the palace. I I think of a bobber. You know a bobber, how a bobber works? You keep trying to suppress it, but it keeps bobbing back up. And when I think of the life of Joseph, that's how I see it. It's like, you know, okay, we could all sit here and say, you know, if you just kept your mouth shut, your brothers wouldn't have been uh, angry enough at you to throw you inside a well. and get, You got sold to slave, as a slave and my, 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 my. Yeah, but if he would have kept his mouth shut, none of that would have happened. He wouldn't have got, He wouldn't have got to Egypt. God needed him in Egypt. So that's the first thing I noticed. The second thing I notice, listen, there are times when trouble comes our way when we're not walking with God. Now, I say that not about Joseph. I say that about his brothers. This is the redemption story inside the redemption story inside the redemption story. Joseph wasn't the only person redeemed. The brothers were redeemed as well. Now let me just say, I think we can all agree here this morning that if you're plotting a way to kill your brother, you're probably not walking with God. I think that's just safe to say. And the brothers did indeed see themselves in trouble. In fact, they even vocalized how they saw themselves in trouble. Listen to why I didn't put this on the screen for you, but listen to what they said. Surely we are being punished because of our brother. What that means is surely we are being punished because of what we did to our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life. But we wouldn't listen, and that's why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must, now we all got to give an account for his blood. Some of us are where we are today because we haven't listened to God. But I have some really good news. God wants to redeem our screw-ups. I mean, Joseph was faithful in his utterly, from what we read, he was utterly faithful in his pursuit of God. I wish we could all say that. But the facts are, some of us, thank you, Kurt, have gotten off the path. But that's not the end of the story. Which brings me to my third observation. That God not only wants to redeem our personal situations, it is in the heart of God to redeem our families as well. And I would take it even further than that because remember, this is a redemption story inside of a redemption story inside of a larger redemption story. God's not just interested in redeeming individuals and not just interested in redeeming families. God's got even, His sights are set on something bigger than that. He likes to redeem neighborhoods and nations. Now, listen, I just want to, in closing, and I really mean it when I say it this time. <laughs> we, we have, we, this rugged individualism, the culture that we live in, has some very positive traits to it, right? But it also has, our, it's one of those situations where our greatest strength is also our greatest weakness, Because we're always looking at the at the through the lenses of life from an individualistic point of view, you know. Why isn't God doing this for me? Why isn't God doing this for me? You know. Why 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 do I have to go through this? Why we're always looking at it that way, right? And I just want you. I want you to think for just a minute. That that I want you to just remember. That you're not the only one on planet Earth. America's not the only country on planet Earth. So, God has His part to do in this redemption uh, uh, process, and you and I have our part to do in this redemption process. In closing, four things that we could do that would promote God's redeeming work. So we don't get in the way of what God would want to do. The first thing, A, I'm calling it, choose faith over fear. That's what we can do. We can say, okay, I don't read anywhere in this story where Joseph freaked out. I don't read anywhere. He, I don't know. It seems like that would be an important uh, caveat to the story if we just had a line that says, and after he got sent to prison, Joseph freaked out. <laughs> that, it seems like significant information, but I don't read that anywhere. Because I think God, I, I don't know if Joseph, I kind of get the idea when, when he saw his brothers bowing down to him, then that dream that he had 13 years ago made some sense. I don't know that Joseph walked along totally understanding, but I I do believe he walked along trusting God. I do believe that. So we we could we could uh, uh, you know see God's uh, redemptive story for our lives play out by us making sure that we're spending more time walking in faith than we are fear. Uh, B, I think another thing we can do is when we screw up, we own our mistakes. We're going to screw up. We're going to have thoughts we shouldn't have. We're going to say things we shouldn't do. We're going to, I, I think I'm beyond thinking about killing my sister, but uh, that doesn't mean we're, we're not, we're, we're going to screw up. And when we screw up, if we just simply raise our hand and say, I screwed up. The brothers, they raised their hand and said, you know, we st- that was stupid. That We shouldn't have done that. And then they got to play a part in God's redemption story because they owned their mistake. Number, letter C. I think we can play a huge part in God's redemptive story when we forgive those who trespass against us. How would this story have played out if when Joseph saw his brothers, remember, he's in charge of what's going going to go down in Egypt. If when he saw his brothers said, hey, we we got some food for the lions. I got some food for you. These people, they, they mistreated, and they're for my family. We need to forgive those who trespass against us. You will not be able to see, please hear me, you will not be able to see what God is doing if your heart is all gummed up with junk. You won't be able to see it. You won't be able to hear God's voice clearly if your heart is all gummed up with junk. And finally, letter D. We need to seek to see and understand what God is doing. I want to read to you in closing some of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold to Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will not be plowing or reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by this great deliverance. So then, it is not you who sent me here, but God. He made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says, God has made me Lord of Egypt. Come down to me and do not delay. Joseph had the ability, in spite of of being at the bottom of a well, in spite of being in prison, in spite of being accused and, 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 and brought to places that were very difficult, he had the ability to see, still see God in the midst of all of it. Please stand with me. Some of you here this morning, some of you here, Have some personal redemption needs. You may be here this morning, and sometimes you think of your life in terms of a pit. Or a prison. I say to you this morning. Whether a pit or a prison. Press into God. Press in to God. He has not abandoned you. He has not forsaken you. He knows right where you're at. And his plan for you is redemption. It always is. Some of you in here this morning have families that have been torn apart. You have children that are not where they need to be in God. I can't tell you what to do, but I can say this to you this morning. God has it in his heart to redeem your family. That is the story of the Bible. That is the story of who God is. He is a God of redemption. So this morning I say to you don't grow weary believing do not lack faith in this moment do not let fear consume your heart. don't let any uh, you know don't let any mistakes you've made in the past keep you from crying out to god for redemption i spoke to someone just this last week whose kids have got some issues right now, grandkids have some issues right now, and one of the things this person said to me is, I didn't bring them up in the church. I just feel a little forlorn about that whole thing. I wanna tell you, I know folks who were brought up in the church and they aren't close to God at all. I, I say this to you, God wants to redeem that situation. And God has a way of working things. All, what we need to do is make sure our hearts are where they need to be. What we need to do is make sure our faith is strong. And we're seeking God. We're, we're we're asking Him to give us eyes to see what He is doing. Even if it doesn't look on the surface like He's doing anything. Lord, show me how you could possibly use this for the good because I promise you he is somehow he is Lord I ask this morning you would fill our hearts afresh with faith for our own for our own pits and prisons I pray that you'd 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 help us to humble ourselves when necessary and to say Lord uh, I, I messed up I pray that you would help us to forgive When that's necessary, Lord. And I pray you give us eyes and ears to see and hear what you are doing. And in due time, Lord, whether on this earth or in the life to come, we believe you're gonna redeem it all. You're gonna redeem it all, Lord. Our faith, our hope, our trust is in you, the God of redemption. We sang a little while ago, we, we exalted you. We said, and, and I just say in closing, Lord, there is no other God of gods they say there are out there, Lord. There is no other God who redeems. That is your specialty. That is what you do. It is in your very name that you said to Moses Lord when you said I am It's all in there redemption is in there It's in there It's who you are So Lord we give ourselves to that Our faith is in you our trust is in you And I pray that on this day as we go from this place and we experience some some uh, the ebbs and flows of life that we won't hit the panic button. We won't, we won't settle for a victim mindset. Woe is me. But we will seek you with all of our heart, knowing full well that redemption is in our future. We love you, Lord. Go with us now as we go from this place. In Jesus' name, Amen. There'll be some wonder; they're already here. Look at them. There's some wonderful people up here to pray for you. If you came in a need today, they'd be happy to cry out to God with you and for you. God bless you as you go. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. I didn't say it earlier, but I'm still here.